after. You probably have plans at yours. Um, but uh, yeah, we're going to start a new series today. I'm excited about it. Lots of cool things coming up this spring with, with CLC. Um, I wanted to start this morning by um, having, like, like having us confess something by raising a hand. But you know, I'm not going to pass the mic around, but like, how many of you have ever, when you were a kid, maybe you know, somewhere between, you know, like before middle school, high school, ran away from home? Okay, all right, thanks for the honesty. This is a safe place. We can do this. I, it, it, if, if you, a lot of us have that as part of our story. When we were kids, we ran away from home. I have one. It's just a delightful story. It, it's, 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 it's really, yeah, and if I don't tell it correctly, Chris Donoff will finish it, and she can't because it's Mother's Day. So, um, yeah, so I was six years old. We were living in this yellow house on a cul-de-sac in Manitowoc, Wisconsin, and I got really, really mad about something one day. And that's the funny thing is, is, is maybe it'd be really interesting to pass the mic around with your running away from home stories. And I would be interested to see how many people actually remember the reason they ran away from home. But I don't remember mine. I just was mad. I was six years old, and I was mad. So I picked up my, my backpack, which was like that dark denim, you know, from the 90s. And this, has been, this is the 80s at this point. Um, you know, denim backpack, and I grabbed what was most dear to me at the time, and it was Teddy Rupskin, which I should have put a picture of it up, but it, this is a, a talking bear that is like one notch away from being terrifying, really, I mean, like, it is just creepy, yeah, and, and you put, like, a full cassette tape in his back, like, he had, he had, like, a cassette player in his, his torso, was a giant cassette player. So he, this thing by itself is like six or eight pounds. Like, you like it was probably actually a good thing to bring along in case I ever did get mugged while I was running away as a six-year-old. I could probably kill someone with this thing by just you know beating them over the head with it. And then the other thing that I grabbed, and I have no clue why, the other thing I grabbed to, to throw into my backpack to run away from home was a cement lawn, owner, lawn ornament bunny. I kid you not, it was a bunny that I, I at, when I was six, I loved this thing. And it was this cement lawn ornament. It was, it was literally, and that thing was heavier, as heavier as a bowling ball. And I put that into my backpack, and I said, see ya, mom. And I, I don't remember where my dad was in this, in this story, but it was between me and my mom. I was like, see ya, mom. And I walked down the driveway. I took a left. The cul-de-sac goes to the right. I took a left. And I just kept walking until I hit the, the intersection, you know, the corner of our cul-de-sac. And then I was kind of like, okay, now what? Now what do I do? And here's the thing. This is, there's probably a lot of similarities if we were to share our own running away stories. There, there's some silliness to it of what we pack, right? There's maybe we can't remember the reason why we ran away. And then there's this also, that I think there would probably be this overarching theme of when we're running away, we're not as focused on where we're going. We're just going away. We're not focused on the two where, you know, where are you going, Josh, if you'd asked me in that moment. I had no idea. All I knew is I wanted to get away. And that's kind of what running away is about. It's, it's, it's about getting, it's not called running to, it's about running away. I want to get out of here. All right, second question. How many of you don't, don't raise your hands, because this is probably, it's a kind of a rhetorical question. All of us have done this in, at some point in time or another, whether we've run away as, uh, from home as a kid. This, this next question is more like, 
from middle school, high school on, how many of you have ever run away from God? You know, just think about that in a second. Like, think, think about it for a second. Think about in your own life, what are some of the ways that you maybe have run away from God? And, and honestly, there's so many ways that we can run away from God. We, it can be very, very almost violent. We can be like, I'm out of here. Flip him off. Leave the church. Leave your house. You know, like just like gone. Like any, any semblance of faith that you once had is now just you jettison. You punt that faith and it's gone. That's obviously a form of running away from God. But there's also more subtle ways that we can run away from God, that we can run away from like, okay, there's God has, we, we come to a point in our life where like God has a will or a desire for our lives, and then we just don't share the same will or desire for our lives, right? And so we decide, yeah, I know you want me to do this, but I don't want to do that. And so we run away from God in that way. Like, and we still probably believe in God. You know, maybe God is still, we would consider God important in our life. Our faith might be important in our life. We just don't want to do the things we believe. We just don't want to follow. That's another form of running away from God. Here's another one that, that I think this is especially true for us, like the students in the room. Because I, I, I remember running to this, and I still do this now. This isn't just a student thing, but it started when I was a student. For me, it was like, God, I want to follow you, just not yet. Okay? I call this the post-dated check version of faith. God, I am all in. I am writing a check for you after I graduate college. You know, and, and it's, it's post-dated for the future, TBD, Lord, I am going to follow you with all my heart. TBD, you know? And we, we, we play those games, and we're like, you go date her, or you go lease that, or you take the job, or you do the promotion. You do the thing that you're like, I'm not sure this is the right thing, but gosh, I want to do it. And I want to go party, and I want to go see about a girl. I want to go see about something else. And then we just got, it's not, it's not like, God, I don't believe in you. It's not like, it's not even, we don't even think of it as rebellion in a sense. We just, not right now, right? There's lots of ways we can run away from God. If you've been a Christian for a long time, you might not even, like, it, it's subtle. You might not even know, like, you've surrendered all these areas to your, of your life to God. And then there's just this one area you're kind of like, yeah, but I'm going to hang on to that one. Yeah, I know I probably should, but I do a lot, you know, and, and, and you, you tend to focus. Let's, let's focus on all these other ways that I'm submitting to God and following him. Yeah, and just a little bit rusty. No one's perfect, you know. No, no one's perfect. We'd say things like that. And in a sense, if you stop and think about it long enough, maybe you've been a Christian for a long time, and you're like, if I'm honest with myself, I'm actually resisting God in this area of my life. I'm kind of running away from him. So my point is, all of us are runners at some point in time in our lives. All of us run from God, whether it be this dramatic, violent exit of the church or our faith, to just this subtle kind of resignation and a subtle resistance to what he wants to do in our lives. All of us are runners, and, and we all run for basically the same reason, right? It's really simple. We're afraid of missing out on something. 
There's something that, like, I really want to do this. I'm wrestling with this right now with something. I'm like, I really want to go forward with this. And I'm like, but is that the best thing for my family? Is that what God's calling me to do at this point in time in my life? And I, I don't know. And we do it for the same thing, for the same reasons. We, 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 if, if we were to surrender to his will, we're afraid of what we might miss out on. And so for the next three weeks, we're going to talk about running from God. Why we do it what happens when we do it, and where God is in the whole matter. What's God's take on us, and what's his attitude towards us when we are running away from his will, either in large ways or small ways. Now, to guide us in this topic, we're going to look at, I think, the most famous runner in all of the Bible. It's, it's a man by the name of Jonah. And if, if you grew up in church, even if you didn't grow up in church, you probably heard about Jonah and the whale. That's right. You know, VeggieTales. It's, it's almost kind of this fairy tale, like a guy got swallowed by a whale, lived for three days. There's, you know, you put it on flannel graph, you know, if you grew up in church. Or, like, you did the little coloring thing, Jonah and the whale, and it's this cute story. And, and honestly, I want to give us, you know, some, someone in here might be saying, you're surely not going to ask me to believe that a guy lived in the belly of a whale for three days, like, Come on, really? Like, and, and honestly, if that's you, I want to just give you an out. If you have, find that this, this, uh, this story is hard to swallow, <laughs> or if it's a little facetious, you know, or, or just one more. It's, if it's a whale of a tail. Okay, I'm done with the puns. I'm done with the puns. If it's just too much to believe, I want to give you an out. Honestly, this is one of the stories I, 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 I don't think, like, honestly, I could, I could talk about the fact, like, is it too hard? You know, like, if you believe in God, that God created the universe, and that God created us, and then we as humans make these things called submarines where we put whole colonies of people underwater for, like, month, literally months. I was just looking it up online in preparation for this. They routinely do three or four months. There's a nuclear submarine that the, the, the British just made that can, live, that can stay underwater for 25 years. If, if the humans had food that long, they could live that long, you know? Okay, so the, I, I feel like we could cut God some slack and be like, hey, if we can figure out as humans, maybe God can, you know, to put, you know, a colony of humans underwater for years, could God figure out a way to throw a dude in the belly of a whale for three days? Yeah, I'd like to give him the benefit of the doubt that he could figure that out. But even if that's too much, you're just like, I, it just, it's, too, it's too hard to believe. I want to give you an out and say, if you want to see this story as a myth, just don't miss the message behind it. I think there's good reasons to believe it's not a myth, but if, if it's hard for you to just, if you're going to be distracted the rest of the time, don't, don't just write it off as, as, as a good story with a message. Think of it as like a movie that you would watch that would bring inspiration to your life or a good novel that when you set it down and you're like crying and the people around you are like, what are you crying about? I can't talk about it right now. I just need to. Like, I think about what's, you know, this is one of those stories that if you engage it, the message behind it is powerful enough to, I think, change your life and change your perspective on life if you'll let it. So that's all I'm going to say about that. I'm not going to say anything more about that, but I wanted to give people an out. That's, uh, so, so this is Jonah. Um, there's, the thing about Jonah that we need to know is Jonah was called to a very difficult situation. Um, we can, we can laugh about Jonah running away from God, but the reality is, is Jonah was a prophet. And prophets, they just had 
kind of difficult job descriptions. They were kind of like the Navy SEALs of the Israel Jewish nation, of the Jewish um, religion. They were the guys um, that were called, called to the tough jobs, to the difficult situations, the difficult environments with difficult people. And they were called to those environments with a word from God for those people that usually those people didn't want to hear. You know, have you ever had somebody who's prophetic in your life? You know what I mean? Somebody who's just like, and maybe they do it on a regular basis. Like every time you're with them, they say something. It's like, yeah, you're right. But I don't want to hear that, you know? Or like it, it, maybe you rejected it for a while, and then you come back years later, and you find out, no, they were right the whole time. We have prophets in our lives. So the prophets in this time, day and age, like, like were called by God. God would say, I want you to go and prophesy a lot of times against these people. And so Jonah was one of those prophets. Now, I want to show you where Jonah lived. Jonah lived in Israel. I, I, talk, I realized this week, I, I talk about Israel all the time, and I want to make sure we know where it is on a map. Trevor, put that, that video up of, of Google Earth. I love Google Earth. Does anybody else love Google Earth? It's the best. So here we are in the United States. If you fly all the way around the world, kind of towards the Middle East, that's where Israel is. It's on the east side of the Mediterranean Sea. It's on the e just east of, there's Cairo and the, the Nile Delta. It's just east of that. It's that, that kind of diamond-shaped country right there. That's Israel. Now, go to the next slide and show, show them what Israel looked like in the time of Jonah. When Jonah was alive, Israel was a divided nation, kind of like North and South Carolina, but North and South Carolina aren't divided. This was like, they almost had like civil wars sometimes. They didn't agree. And there's the North, nope, go to the other one. Go back one. This, so the blue portion, that's the northern uh, portion of Israel, and they called that Israel. And then the, the southern kingdom was called Judah, the yellow portion right there. Jonah was a prophet to the northern kingdom of Israel. And so primarily, it, prophets from the northern uh, kingdom of Israel primarily prophesied to the northern kingdom of Israel. That was their people. If they're going to say a hard message, it's, it's going to be best received by somebody from them, probably, from themselves. So God oftentimes would send, send uh, you know, a, a prophet from the southern kingdom, would minister, pro prophesy to people in the southern kingdom. Every once in a while, and this was unusual, they would, there, uh, there would be a prophet from the northern kingdom that would come and prophesy in the southern kingdom. And it was a hard job because they didn't really get along all the time. And there was you know, there was some, some divide there, right? There's tension with the, with, between those two groups of people. Catch this. Jonah got called to do something way harder than that. Catch what it says. This is in, let's, let's look at Jonah chapter 1. Your Bibles, you're going to need your Bibles today. Jonah chapter 1, there's Bibles on the, uh, on the chairs there. Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. And when somebody gets to that, um, to the right page in the church Bibles, shout out the, the page for us. Jonah is asked to do something unprecedented, unprecedented here in this, this first verse of his book. Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. By the way, if you start in Matthew, and or if you start in the beginning, you'll never find it. You, what you want to do is start... 436, page 436. It says this, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach 
against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Now, if, if you looked at that map that we just looked at, we don't need to, Nineveh is nowhere to be found on that map because Nineveh is not in Israel. Okay, so go, go ahead to that next slide. And we'll show them where Nineveh is. So that here's Israel again, is that bottom left-hand corner. And as you zoom out on Google Earth, right there, you see Mosul right there? That's Mosul, Iraq. That's where Nineveh, ancient Nineveh is, is right around Mosul. And so that's 500, you'll see here in a second, it's 530 or 550 miles away as the crow flies. Okay? Well outside of the nation of Israel. I mean, even, even to go from north to south, king, northern kingdom to southern kingdom could take days of travel, depending on where you are. This, go back to that. Oh, you can't go back to that. Actually, yeah, you, yeah, you can show that again. Honestly, it's 530 miles to Nineveh, kind of north and east, but that, it, that's as the crow flies. There's no way. You see how that looks really deserty? Anybody who traveled into that portion of, of you know, Nineveh, which was in the Assyrian Empire, would go north and around in what's called the Fertile Crescent or Mesopotamia. You guys remember that from school? It would be a long, it would be pushing a thousand miles. It'd be like from here to Chicago of travel. That's where God is calling Jonah on foot to go to. Uh, to go to, it, I mean, that's, so that's one layer. But honestly, the, the distance is probably not the biggest layer that's keeping Jonah from wanting to do what God is calling him to do. And honestly, I want us to, I'm saying all this because I kind of want us to feel for Jonah. Go to that slide, um, that one right there. So this is a really interesting slide. This is um, the Assyrian Empire. The dark green is the Assyrian Empire before Jonah was born like 800 B.C., 800 years before Christ. That's how big it was. At, by the time that Jonah died, the Assyrian army, the Assyrian empire had become all of the green. And it spilled from way, you know, from, it had come all the way from Mesopotamia all the way down through, you know, what we call the Holy Lands now, through Israel, and then into the Egyptian, you know, North Africa territories. They were expanding, and they were ruthless. They were, they were taking over the world. Jonah knew this. In fact, Jonah's very kingdom, the northern kingdom, uh, shortly after this all happened, within a generation of when this all happened, the northern kingdom would fall to the Assyrians and, and, and cease to exist as a nation. It would be gone. Jonah knew they were coming. It was like a black cloud over people in this age, in this era. They knew that the, 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 em the emperors were set on conquest because that was what they were doing at the time. So let's read this again. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Verse 2. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He's like, I don't want to do that. Still believe in you, God? I still want to be, you know, like, I'd like to prophesy for you. Northern kingdom? Absolutely. I would even do the southern kingdom. I'd, I'd make the trip. But I'm not going to Nineveh. And, and just, when he ran from God, so, so actually, let's keep reading. He went down to Joppa, which is a port city in, um, in Israel where he found a ship 
bound for that port, meaning the port of Tarshish. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. His intentions are very clear. Now, when he ran, he really, really ran. Put this next map up. And this is the last map for the, the geography messages or um, lessons almost done. Okay, so that Jaffa is in Israel. There's Nineveh 550 miles away. We don't even, look how far Tarshish is. It's in modern-day Spain, near Gibraltar, maybe, or somewhere along that east coast. We're not quite sure where Tarshish is. It's it, literally, and, and to put this into perspective, in Jonah's mind, he's running to the end of the world. The, the, the people growing up in his area, and, and granted, he's never, the people didn't travel more than a hundred, couple hundred miles away from their home, usually, growing up in their lives in the ancient world. That was very, very rare for, to travel more than that. So in Jonah's mind, he's like, okay, what's the furthest east, Tarshish? Okay, I'll do that. This is literally the end of the commercial trading route. He boards a ship there, and he's going to go across the, the Mediterranean Sea, the longest trek you can make on the Mediterranean Sea, to get to Tarshish, to get away from God. God, you want me to go this way? I'm going to go this way. And here's the thing. In this verse, we uncover one of the truths, like having talked to runners, I've talked to a lot of runners, I'm one myself, and as I think back on my running, there's some interesting themes in the way that we run, and I'm going to pull some of those out through our passage. The first point is this, sometimes when we run, we run in really silly ways. We do silly things. People who run from God often run to the strangest places. Isn't it true? Oh, God, you want me to be prudent with my money? I'm going to spend all of it. I'm going to get up to my eye in debt, and it's going to be horrible. I'm not going to get any sleep at night. My wife and I, we're going to fight about it a bunch. It'll be, you know, like, like we do the strangest things. Oh, you don't want me to date her? Oh, I'm going to marry her. Oh, oh, you want me to, you know, it, like fill in the blank. Like, it, it, it's, it, we do, think about it. Think about the times when you've done something and you're just like, at the, at the end, like on paper, it makes no sense. Why in the world would you do it? But think about it for a second. It actually makes perfect sense. See, when we're running from God, the reason we do strange things and go to strange places is because when we're running from God, we're actually running away from the source of life and truth and goodness we're, we're turning our back on the good uh, God who is good. And so to go away from him is to go towards things that are not good. I remember this. <laughs> I have this really bad habit of when I was in school, and tell me if you can relate to this if you're a student. If I didn't respect the teacher, I had a really hard time in that class. I had a really hard time doing things for that class. And I, I, I mean, I would be like, I'd be, like, obstinate, and I'd hassle the teacher. And a lot of times, I'm sure the teacher didn't like it, but the reality was that I was the one that got hurt from that more than anyone else. It came to a head in college when I actually had this statistic teacher for statistics, and I just couldn't stand her. And so I didn't study, and I didn't really try. And guess what? I got an F. Totally failed the class. I showed her. <laughs> No, it's like, why, why is that? It, 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 the reality is, is so there, sometimes our rebellion takes its biggest toll on who? 
us. As we're running away from God, we're running, if we're running away from a good God, we're running away from goodness, good things, good stuff. The next three words are so powerful. Verse 4 in Jonah chapter 1. Then the Lord. Then the Lord. And here's the thing is, is throughout this, you'll see this as a theme. We'll pick up a couple more of them next week. Throughout this interaction, as Jonah's running away, we, we, find, we find these phrases like, and then the Lord. Or, and, and, and then the Lord did this, and then the Lord did that. We find that the Lord is actually, while Jonah is running away, he's still active in Jonah's life. And everybody look at me, look at me here. If you're running right now, if you've ran in the past, if you, if you ever run in the future, I need you, you need to know this. While you're running away from God, God is still active in your life. He still is active in your life. He's still, even, he's, he's not just like, all right, see you later. Now he's not running after you, please, please, please. He's, he doesn't play like that. He's sovereign. He's powerful. He's in control. He's not like, oh, no, what am I going to do? He's not freaking out. But he is active in your life. Sometimes we see it, sometimes we don't. Sometimes it's good things, sometimes it's not. Let's look. Verse 4, then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea. So do you see this? It doesn't say, it doesn't say Jonah gets on the boat and then, you know, like a big storm came up. That happens. No, it says specifically, this is a theological storm. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. Which, by the way, I, I was thinking about this week. It had to be, like, God had to be like, oh, no, he's not, no, he's getting, no, Jesus, come over here. You got to see, he's getting on a boat. Like, he's trying to stick it to us, and he's getting on a boat? What do you want to do? <laughs> you know, like, 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 that's like a bad place to be. That's a precarious place to be. So he's like, all right, um, let's send a great wind. All the sailors, verse 5, were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. And at this time, this would have been, we're not quite sure, they're probably not, these sailors are probably not Jewish. They're probably, we don't know, they, they could be kind of Greek, in, in, uh, they could be Assyrian, they could be a lot, of, but all of those religions at the time had, they would be considered kind of pagan religions. And the, we use the word pagan right now to mean like, you don't believe in God? It's actually not true at all. The pagans had lots of gods. And so these, these pagan sailors start to cry out to their own god. And they could have literally, do you remember Poseidon in, in Greek mythology? They could have been praying to Poseidon, the god of the sea, at this point in time. We don't know. All the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his own god. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten up the ship. These are professional sailors. This is their livelihood. They lose one shipment of, of goods, they could be done. That's how bad this storm was. They're throwing their livelihood into the sea. But Jonah, Jonah, had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain, verse 6, went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up, call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. The captain, so here's, here's the, and this brings us to our second point. The captain comes down and he's like, why are you asleep? 
In other words, like, isn't this obvious? You're in a, we're in a really bad spot here. And this brings us to our second point about runners. Runners are often the last people to make the connection. Isn't it true? When we're running, we're oftentimes the last person to make the connection that what we're doing is actually extremely harmful for our well-being. And, and honestly, if you, it, you, might, it, you might be a runner if you have this going on in your life right now. Every couple weeks or couple months, somebody that is a friend or someone who loves you, family member, or your mama, it's Mother's Day, happy Mother's Day, your mama comes to you and say, hey, honey, you might want to think about, you know, if, if you got people just kind of like, hey, 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 sweetheart, hey, hey, bud, have you thought about it might be that you're running <laughs> and that other people around you are making the connection that what you're doing is actually pretty harmful to yourself and you might want to think about stopping doing it. And, 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 and by the way, when anyone says something like, hey, you might want to think about, it means they think they really think you should do that. <laughs> Am I right? Like we kind of soften the blow. Hey, I don't want to tell you how to live your life. Like I don't want to be like that. But bro, you know. And runners, we need to know this about ourselves. If, for, for, if we're running right now, you need to know this. We might be the last ones to see the connection. Oh, my gosh, I'm destroying my life. Oh, my goodness, I think I want this, but in actuality, maybe I don't. Joan is asleep at the wheel in, in one of his most dangerous moments, and the captain finds him, and he's like, hey, so we're kind of having this prayer service up on deck. If you want to come join us, bring your God. We don't care. We're, we're you know. Not discriminating here, uh, you know. Yeah, any, uh, we'll take anything we can have at this point. And honestly, you got to pay attention. I, see, you guys, you need to read your Bibles more. And when you read your Bibles, you got to, like, picture it. And it, it, what's so, like, picture what's going on. These are sailors. They've thrown everything off, off, uh, off the ship already to lighten the load. The, it's, it's not gotten any better. In fact, it's about to get worse. And they're on their knees praying. They're having a prayer. They're, they're holding hands, singing Kumbaya and praying. That's a funny mental picture. Like, like, how did that work? Like, as they're sloshing around, you know? You can join us. So he does. And uh, nothing happened. Um, Yeah, so then the sailors, verse 7, said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. Which I wouldn't suggest doing to try to figure things out. But they do it, and it kind of works. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they roll the dice, who knows what they did, roll dice, draw straws, but somehow it comes to know, okay, this is not just a storm, this is a theological storm, God's mad at us, and somebody's to blame for this, not me, is it you? No, it's not me, you know, it's who, who is it, they cast lots, it falls to Jonah, so they ask him, verse 8, tell us who is responsible for making all this trouble, what kind of work do you do, (laughs) do do, are, are you, are you like a crook, a criminal, you know, like black market, like, like car, you know, is there some karma that we need to know about? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? And he answered, honestly, I am a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of heaven. And he kind of made the sea and the dry land. And this is the craziest thing. And this happens a couple times throughout the books. The, the, the people, the other characters in the book do things that it's kind of like, ah, oh, I didn't see that coming. Verse 10, they're like, oh, no, it terrified them. 
And they asked, what have we done? They knew he was running from the Lord because he had actually already told them so. He just hadn't told them the whole story. Now the sea, verse 11, was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked, what do we do, Jonah? Like, we are really in a predicament here. It's obviously you. Your God is the God of the sea and the sky and the land. I think he's raising ruckus here. What do we do? Uh, what should we do to make the sea calm for, down for us? And Jonah just says, you know what, pick me up and throw me to, in the sea. I, I deserve this. I ran from God, and, and, and this, is, this is it for me, he replied. And it will become calm. I know that is my fault, and this great storm has come upon you. Pause for a second here. The next thing that happens is they do this, and the, the storm stops. And, um, which is also another really funny mental picture, like the one, two, three, throw him overboard, it stops, and then he's just kind of treading water right there, like, okay, now what? But they actually didn't think that. When they saw that, they were so blown away by the miraculous of what had just happened, they hit the deck. They hit their knees, and they start praying to, to Jonah's God, to Yahweh. They have basically this conversion experience on the boat, like a come-to-Jesus moment on the boat, uh, on this boat. Meanwhile, you know, Jonah's there treading water. <laughs> it's, a, it's, it's a funny mental picture, but here, here's, a, here's what I want us to see. There are times, sometimes our hypocrisy actually leads people back to God. Most of the time it doesn't, though. Can we all agree that most of the time our hypocrisy actually probably gets in the way of people coming to God? That us saying, oh, I'm a Christian, and then running from God, like, oh, I believe, but not following him is more destructive to our Christian faith than constructive. We can all agree that, right? But every once in a while, this does happen, but usually not. Usually my hypocrisy, your hypocrisy, keeps people away from the church, away from repentance, away from God himself. We're going to talk about that in a couple weeks, but I wanted to make that point. So there they are, they're like, okay, we, they had this, this, this come to Jesus moment, and then they look out of the boat, and Jonah's still there, and like, well, should we pick him up? But they don't have to think about it long, because in verse 17, here's what happens. Now the Lord, here's God again, intervening in Jonah's behalf. Now the Lord provided a life raft. The Lord provided a life preserver. You need to read your Bibles. The Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. You picking up a theme? Let's keep reading. To swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. And from inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. <laughs> I wrote in my notes, I bet he did. <laughs> you know? He didn't pray during the storm. He didn't pray as he's running away. But sometimes when we're in our deepest, darkest moments, we start to, I mean, really pray. And next week, we're going to pause it there. And next week, we're going to look at Jonah's prayer. It has a lot to say to runners. It's a good prayer. And there's a turning point kind of in this story. But what I want us to pull out right here is the last point of the last observation I have for us as runners is 
as runners, we can run from God. But you can't outrun God. We can run, we talk about how we do strange things and it brings us to strange and dark places. We can talk about being, I mean, I don't know about you, but like, I I don't like being the last one to know about something or to make, oh, that's what's happening here. Like, that's not fun. But this last bit is actually a piece of good news. No matter how much we run from God, we can't outrun him. As much as we would like to get away from God and maybe put a lot of effort into it, God loves and cares for us enough to come after us. And that's going to be the, the, the big idea for next week. Go ahead and put that slide up. The Lord, uh, actually the next one, God is not after you to pay you back, but to win you back. When we turn our backs on God, he doesn't freak out. He doesn't codependently run after us like, no, you can't. He lets us do our thing. Um, Carol said once, Carol Jackson said once we were in a small group and we were talking about God and just how he gives us space. And she's like, yeah, it's almost like he's a gentleman, like a true gentleman. He's not going to push his will on us. He's not going to force himself on us. He desperately wants us to follow him and to be close to him, but he's not willing to, to push and force himself on us. He's coming after us. When we run away, he's not finished with us. He doesn't just rinse his hands of us and write us off. He loves us too much to do so. He's coming after us, not to pay us back, but to win us back, and ultimately to bring us back. Isn't that beautiful? There's reasons why we believe this as, as Christians. This isn't far-fetched. I mean, it doesn't say this, that, that, Joan, you know, that God was with Jonah so that he could do it. But, but we can put the pieces together. I mean, you put the puzzle, pieces of the puzzle out of Scripture. We find that God, throughout the Old Testament and then especially in the New Testament, wants to, to the, the best way to, to describe his relationship between us and him, the way he wants us to view our relationship with him, is he wants us to look at him as a heavenly father. A father, like my mother that day, that is, is willing to let us run away, willing to let us get to the end of cul-de-sac and then realize, you know, I don't know where I'm going, and then come back. He's after us not to, to pay us back, but to win us back. And there's this verse in Proverbs that I want us to read. And it says this, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline. See, what, what Jonah's experiencing right now is discipline. The Lord, it, it, then the Lord is providing things that don't feel good. Did you catch this? Because we need to know this as runners. This, Because this, when we're running, Jonah, this made him mad. The first instinct is like, oh, he's not like, oh, sweet, a fish from God. It's just not what he thought. He was mad. He was frustrated. And as runners, it's frustrating. But we have to recognize the Lord is not against us. He's not after us to pay us back. These bad things, this calamity in our life is him saying, hey, 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 I know you're running. But he's tapping us on the shoulder. Ever so slightly, but you have ever thought maybe this maybe this is happening because of this action, this decision? 
hey, 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 maybe this is happening because you've been stiff-arming me, and I have something better for you over here. And he allows and sometimes even provides calamity in our lives. Not because he's mad at us, not because he wants to, you know, pay us back, but he, because he loves us as a father. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline. The Lord's discipline. Why do you discipline your kids? Not because you're mad at them, but because you love them and you want something better for them than what they're doing right now. Don't despise the Lord's discipline. And do not resent his rebuke. Hey, don't do that. Hey, hey come back. Hey, be careful. Don't resent that because the Lord disciplines those he loves. And he loves you. And he loves me. And he loves us enough not to let us just go on with our lives and let our, the will of our lives reign in such a way that would lead towards destruction. He won't force us to come back. He can't. He, he's, he's like, no, I'm not going to do that. But he will sometimes get in the way and discipline us as a father, the son he delights in. Isn't that interesting? So here's my closing thoughts. We're, we're calling this series White Flag. <laughs> and I hope that each and every one of us would maybe think about a way that we can raise a white flag. You know what a white flag is? It's like that, I think it's a maritime thing, which kind of fits with Jonah, you know. To raise the white flag is to surrender. Say, I, I, I'm done. I'm done running. I'm done fighting. And Lord, I want to surrender to your, your will. A couple questions. Where might you be resisting God's presence, God's will, God's desire for your life right now? Big or small? This is going to look different for each of us. How might God be tapping you on the shoulder? Even this week, were there things that happened that like, frustrated you, that, that made you feel, you know, like dark or made you feel like you, you can't move, you feel stuck? Where's God in that? What's, what's, what's maybe your loving heavenly father trying to teach you in that? And then lastly, what would it look like for you to wave the white flag to your heavenly father right now? What would that look like? What would it change? And what might God do if we do? Let's pray. Lord, would you help us to be honest? Honest honest with the ways that we resist you. Straightforward with the ways that we stiff arm you. Lord, we recognize that oftentimes as runners, we're the last ones to see our rebellion and how harmful it is to us as runners. It, it, we're sometimes the last ones to, to make the connection and turn back to you, and we recognize that even here now at church, maybe through Jonah's story, you are tapping us on the shoulder of something. And, and, and this is for all of us. This is for me as the preacher of this text. This is for the, the, the kids in the room that are trying to decide whether or not they're going to follow faith that their parents have. This is for the person who's been a Christian for a long, long time and just been resisting what you want to do next. 
Lord, I thank you that you are inviting us to turn around and to come back home, to come back to you, to not just believe in you, but to follow you with all our hearts, with all our souls, mind, and strength. And if we do, when we do, Lord, I just thank you that you're a God that, that has arms that are wide open. So, Lord, would you soften our resistance to you today? I pray all this in your name. Amen.